Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. And we're at the NBA Finals, and that means we have our annual NBA Finals preview show with some friends from the overstated. We have fan favorite, one of my favorites, Jacob Birkinshaw, joining us first. And then we will uh, get Steve Sabatini in with us um, at some point later in the episode. Finally, Jacob, Steve is going to be on one of these damn podcasts. It's It's been forever. This man's complained that we do it too early for him to get on. But, Steve, we're doing this for you, buddy. We're going to have you on because he's like, I, I know nobody else who wants to talk Milwaukee Bucks more than Steve. So, like, we have to have him on. This is like the holy grail of podcasts for him. But, Jacob, how are you doing, my friend? I, I'm I'm doing very well, Nathan. Thank you. Excited to be back on. Just got back from uh, football that went very late, and it is for tomorrow. I'm sure, like the same as Steve has tonight, but uh, I'm ready. I can't wait to stay up until like four, five o'clock this morning watching basketball. It's going to be wild. I can't wait. Do you do you, do you drink a lot of coffee? Because you're probably going to need some coffee. I'm probably going to have a coffee. I don't know if I should be having a coffee. It's quarter past 11 right now. I don't know if I should have a midnight coffee, but I probably will do anyway, because fuck it. I, I think you're going to need one, my friend. And, and, <laughs> and I don't blame you, but you are a trooper for, for wanting to watch it live. But it's the finals, right? This is, this is what we've all waited for. I think you kind of have to watch it live. So, um, Suns Bucks. Not quite sure that this was the finals matchup that anybody really anticipated. We'll we'll start with the Phoenix Sun side before we we end up getting Steven here at some point, Jacob. I got to be honest with you, um, I've I've loved this Suns team all year long. I've really thought that they were the most complete team coming into this season. Before obviously before the Nets got James Harden and they made that trio, and it's just like, well, what are the Nets going to do to somebody at some point? But like, if we're talking about before then. I thought the Suns were the most complete team coming in. And even up till now, they've kind of played like they've been the most complete team in the NBA. And, and I, I said on our initial playoff preview pod um, that, that we did that I felt like the winner of Suns-Lakers was going to go to the finals. And if that was the Suns, then so be it. I was going to pick the Suns to go the rest of the way. And here we are. They're, they <laughs> quite literally made the finals. So um, well, why don't we just start, Jacob, with some of your thoughts about what the Suns have been able to accomplish, not, not not only just in the regular season this year, but in the postseason, what have been some of your big picture takeaways for, for Phoenix this year? Yeah, so when um, the playoffs started as well, I did a kind of breakdown looking at the core kind of the eight contenders, the ones that we all know that were like the three in the East, the five in the West, that we all presumed would be the ones competing for championships. My notes on Phoenix were basically, I love them. They're super, they're not just deep, they're deep at the top. And that was where I w really fell in love with this team, how deep they are at the top of their roster and how like well-built this team is with different skill sets. My only issue was, the only reason I didn't pick them was that I did not know how these guys would perform in their first playoffs together. I didn't know, you know, we, you know, we never, there's not really a science behind who's going to, you know, overperform or underperform come playoff time. Turns out 
DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker were built for this. And yeah. this Phoenix Suns team is absolutely ready to win right now. I mean, they, I think they have been, honestly, been the best team in the playoffs so far. I mean, you know, I have kind of these proprietary databases I create about um, kind of team plus minus data. This Suns team has been the best team in the playoffs up to this point. And not only that, like, generally it's kind of, you know, I, I do a kind of net rating system that's slightly different from basketball references. Really good teams are up to like, you know, eight plus 10 plus eight, you know, some, a lot of teams end up around plus three, plus four. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks are up at plus nine. They're really good. This Suns team is at plus 12. And not only are they at plus 12, their offense is plus six and their defense is plus six. So they're an incredibly, an incredibly robust team. They're incredibly good on both ends. They've never underperformed offensively or defensively in any series up to this point, as you'd expect of a team that's like plus 12 through three series. Yeah, I, I really, really love the Suns team. They're incredibly well coached. The players, they work together so well. I, I really wonder what this Milwaukee Bucks team can do as much as I, I think it's fair to say that not only do the Bucks have the best player in this series, assuming he's, he- he's healthy, they have a guy who's like two tiers above anyone else in this series if he's healthy. But I don't think that really matters. I think it's going to be similar to, you know, some of LeBron's finals appearances where, yes, he's by far the best player in this series, but it doesn't matter when seven of the 10 best players in the series are on the other team. Yep. That's kind of the feeling I'm getting coming into this finals right now. And, and, and that's, that's basically the biggest point that you could have mentioned, Jacob, because you hit on that. You like the sun's depth at the top, but their depth as a team in general. And, and when you take a look at them, it's, it's the reason why Atlanta was able to shock so many people in the East, making the run to, mm-hmm. to the Eastern conference finals past you know, my, my Philadelphia 76ers shitting the bed, of course. But <laughs> you, you just take a look at Atlanta, and it feels like every series they were in, they had like five out of the eight best players in the series. And, and Phoenix is the same way. Like, they may, they may not have the first or the second best player even in this final series, but they're probably going to have five or six of the next, like, nine guys. So, you, you know, yeah, obviously the Bucks have um, Giannis, Holiday, and Middleton, but the Suns have CP3 playing at a really high level. Devin Booker has looked like Kobe Bryant out there at times. DeAndre <laughs> Ayton finally living up to his promise, looking like the Admiral David Robinson that I always knew he could be. Um, Cam Johnson has played really well when, when he's been in the line. And Mikhail Bridges has shot the ball really well. Campaign, shout out to Campaign, by the way. Like that man was in and out of the league, and he's proven that he belongs, and he's played absolutely huge for them, creating tough step back threes all over the place, getting a step on people, um, doing some of those crazy lay-ins that he does. Um, Saric has played really well in spurts for, for them at times. Torrey Craig has been valuable off the bench. Like that's eight. They're going a bare minimum of like eight guys deep. That's insane. Like you don't, you don't necessarily expect that all the time, especially when you look at some of those guys um, ages, but yeah, you, you talked about with a lot of your plus minus stats, how balanced of a team, the Suns are so per synergy ratings they're fifth amongst playoff teams in total offense and they are first among playoff teams in total defense so they've been the best defensive team 
in the playoffs all postseason long. And that really starts with the big man, DeAndre Ayton in the middle, who has all of a sudden turned into one of the best perimeter switching bigs that I think we have um, in the NBA. His evolution as a defensive player has been remarkable. Hasn't been the most, you know, top tier defender overall that I think we might have in the league. Obviously not, but still, when you consider how valuable he is being a, not being afraid to guard one through five at different points, rating out in the 76 percentile overall defensively. And then when you throw that in with everything he's done offensively, shooting 70% from the field in the playoffs, I don't care how big you are and how you're getting your points. If you're shooting 70%, you're, you're doing something right, rating out in the 95th percentile amongst players in, in the playoffs this year. So why don't you talk to me a little bit, Jacob, about your feelings regarding DeAndre Ayton and, and how he's really separated himself and, and why he's been so successful for the Suns, despite him only being in the NBA for, for three years up to this point. Well, the thing is, like, you can probably speak to this more. One of the things I remember hearing coming into the draft that made me not, I think I had, I can't remember exactly, I believe I had him either third or fourth, my big board. And it was not just down to, philosophically speaking, big men, their um value in the nba is being kind of crunched in like the margins it was that i'd heard rumors and everything i read i'd heard rumors oh is his motor there is his desire there to be to utilize his physical gifts as much as he could because you're right he is like i think physically he's one of the most unique talents in the league like i think there are people who are bigger than him stronger than him can jump higher than him, you know, can run faster than him. I don't know if there's anyone in the league who can do everything, all of those things better than he can in one package. He is a very, very unique player. And yeah, I think defensively, it's not that he is like some incredible world-beating talent. The issue is that everything I'm hearing that's kind of exploded during the playoffs is like, he just wants to try really hard. He just wants to utilize everything he has. And he's like, it's like having Chris Paul on his team and feeling like we're a really good team now has suddenly given him this extra boost of energy, has suddenly made him start trying really, really hard and be like, I'm going to clean up everything. I'm going to switch on to people. I'm going to take the tough matchups and I'm going to kind of be that central leader in the middle for this team. That is something that, I wasn't expecting him coming into the draft. I kind of expected maybe not necessarily like more of a timid kind of cat or something like that, but I wasn't expecting this kind of real dogged mentality to come out of him. But when you've got Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they're pushing you on. It seems to really, really bring that out of him. And he's got the physical tools to make that work. Offensively, you're right. I mean, I think his um, his offensive skill set is it's not setting the world on fire, but he's doing what he needs to do there. And I think the relationship between him and Chris Paul, especially, I think that's the key, the kind of the core of um, Phoenix's offense, where they draw most of their kind of value versus the rest of the league is in the Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll. I think there's a lot there because DeAndre Ayton is scoring. He's scoring quite well in terms of volume, but he's scoring it on insane efficiency. And Chris Paul is the perfect guy 
to utilize his skill set, his incredibly soft hands, his incredibly kind of large raid catch radius, as well as utilizing the fact that he's going to draw attention into the post. And Chris Paul is an elite, elite mid-range shooter. Like, I believe it's 45% in these playoffs, I believe. I, something like that. It's like nearly 50% in these playoffs. That is where I think a lot of the value is coming from. Ironically, then, they're not even the guys taking the most shots, which is where they, I really fall in love with this team, is that they're generating all this value. And then they have Devin Booker kind of as the floor raiser, propping up this offense by taking, he takes the most shots per, on a per possession basis. He takes them quite efficiently. Like he has a really good kind of floor raising ability, I believe, because of his just tough, his tough shot making range. So as much as I think that DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul, they create this really beautiful offensive scheme, which generates a lot of value. The fact that that's not kind of their bread and butter, like that's not their only go-to option. It kind of, it gives DeAndre Ayton more range to exploit that more because teams can't just load up on him. And it gives the Phoenix Suns an incredibly robust offense. There you go. You, you, you nailed it perfectly. Well, well, you nailed your whole explanation perfectly, Jacob, but you really hit it home in that last part of what you just said in that, they're, they're not looking to have this insert guard here and DeAndre Ayton relationship is like their bread and butter offensive set, but they know to go to it when the play breaks down. Like the, to me, what Phoenix has done really well when they've had their best success, not only in the regular season, but also in the playoffs is when a play's broken down for them. Like, like you know, they, they either want to look for a wide open three-point shot or they want to run like a double screen and they want to get one of those guards, either Booker or CP3, open for for one of their um, clutch mid-range jump shots, right? But if neither of those things has been there around like the, the, the 13 to 11 seconds left on the shot clock, they've done great at pivoting to just going to Aiton and feeding the big man and not jacking up a bad shot in that possession because yeah, like three may be greater than two, but two is also greater than zero. Like like you would much rather take an easy eight and dump off for 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 like a dunk or a lob or whatever the case may be, or just give him the ball if he has deep post position. You'd rather take that than you know keep whipping the ball around and taking like contested three point shot. I would much rather have the two points, and I think that's really what made Phoenix jump out against some of these other teams that were much more content firing up as many threes as they could, but when they couldn't hit those shots and they went cold, they didn't have an option to go to like a DeAndre Ayton in the post who's been so efficient finishing around around the basket. And that's why when, when some people like to argue sometimes and they say the 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 big man's dead or like the the, the traditional big man is something that the league's going away from. Well, no, that guy is still really valuable if he knows his role, knows how to play within his role, and is being well-coached within that role. Um, and that's exactly what you've seen from DeAndre Ayton during the playoffs, and that's why when, when you don't leave empty possessions on the table, when you're consistently finding ways to generate points no matter how you're doing it, that's what's going to set you up for success. And obviously it also limits other transition opportunities for the opposing team, et cetera. You control so much more of the pace 
and the game in general. And, and that's really been the biggest difference for me um, re- regarding DeAndre Ayton and his relationship with some of the other guys on that team. But even, even looking at the depth, so um, by total offense, right, Devin Booker, you, you mentioned Devin Booker's volume and how much he's shooting the basketball. And same with Chris Paul. They're at 44% and 57% offensively by percentile, respectively, for total offense in the playoffs. But I mentioned DeAndre Ayton at 95, the 95th percentile. Mikael Bridges, 73rd percentile. Jay Crowder, 70th percentile. Cam Johnson, 92nd. Dario Saric, 80th. Like, they have so many other guys that are stepping up and hitting shots when they're called upon, and that really is to a, a lot to Chris Paul's brilliance and that he's constantly directing the offense, telling everyone where to be. And they're just, they're just so used to what they have to do within the offense and nobody's really complaining or griping about the kind of shots they're getting or how often they're shooting. They, they, they know the stars they're going to go to. And when that play initially isn't there for their star, they're moving the ball and getting it to the right spot because their guys are all there at the right times or they're cutting and, and making something else happen at another time. Like I love when Mikel Bridges just flies out of nowhere and, and, and all of a sudden he's at the basket for an easy cut or like an offensive putback or whatever the case may be. Like, how 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 big of a smile does it put on your face when you're seeing the Phoenix Suns clean up a lot of these um, some of their bad possessions and like getting a lot of these easy putback shots and these other teams are like they don't they don't know what the hell's happening. Uh, I I I love this team. I I love like you mentioned Mikael Bridges. He might be a favorite player in the league just because whenever I'm like thinking if I'm like thinking I want to make like a hypothetical team, Mikael Bridges is like invariably my small forward if it's like just like a random team where i'm like you know what i'm it's not like Kawhi or kd i want mikhail bridges because he does everything so well that you want your secondary piece to do and he's so unselfish and he might he might just be the best wing defender in the league he might be he is a ridiculously shaped human being he's a really really good shooter he's an incredible cutter and he just, yeah, like you say, he cut into the basket, getting those offensive rebounds, working really hard. And on top of that, then shout out to uh, Jay Crowder, who we haven't even mentioned yet, who's canning 37% of his threes and is like an ideal power forward slot for this team. And like you mentioned, Dario Saric, who's playing pretty, pretty well as a kind of a backup big man. Cam Johnson, who's a knockdown shooter. This team just has so much around their core pieces and i think you hit it with um kind of about the egos in this team that they're really there aren't any stars like deandre ayton and Mikael bridges they're not star star players when chris paul came into the the team deandre ayton may may have been looked upon by some people as a bust i certainly would have looked on him thinking this is probably going to end up as a below average number one pick in the NBA. I think most people probably, if they weren't, DeAndre Ayton truthers were in that kind of boat. So Ayton didn't really have much kind of stock or much, you know, clout to demand things from his offense. Um, Mikael Bridges obviously is a kind of a superstar role player. Everyone else in this team are kind of role players. The only star really in this team was Devin Booker, who had done nothing of no outside of you know being an awesome player to everyone who actually watches him knows he's an awesome player but he doesn't have that kind of superstar clout in the league and 
he's so kind of deferential to Chris Paul comes in as the other statesman and Devin Booker. I mean, apparently they really get into it in yep. training. The first um, training three on three session I was reading, apparently they really got into it, but there's so much respect there between the two of them. And there's so much effort and you see Chris Paul when they come, when they get out of the Western conference, when they won and got to the final and Chris Paul was like, the reason I'm here is because of that light skinned guy over there and points at Devin Booker and you see the admiration between them, but, but the kind of the clear social structure of that team, like everyone knows who I'm looking up to, you know, who I'm trying to help out, who's kind of below me on the ladder. Everyone has a very, very clear idea of where they fit in on this team. And I think that creates a more than the sum of their parts kind of feeling to this Phoenix Suns team. So a, a lot of what we've been talking about goes into this identity of an egoless team who is willing to do the dirty work, do, do, do the dirty work on the boards, get out, run, fill the lanes properly, get to your spots, do all that fun stuff. And, and a lot of that stuff comes back to transition play. And, and hopefully we get into this a little bit with Steve when we talk a little more on, on the Buck side. But there's an interesting give and take here that 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 I think may possibly be one of the keys to the series. So you look at Phoenix's offense, right? Everyone talked about when they're pushing the tempo, pushing the pace, playing up the speed, not necessarily just relying on half-court theatrics by Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. They were they're they're second in the playoffs in terms of a transition offense. The yeah. Bucks are first in the playoffs in terms of transition defense. So Usually, when, when we're talking about transition defense, it's not just getting back. It's also that you're cleaning up the glass, grabbing defensive rebounds, not letting the other team take advantage of timely offensive rebounds to get put back offense. So, um, Jacob, what are some of your thoughts about the, the transition game and how you might see that playing out in this series, if you see it as as much of a key as as I might? Well, I do totally agree. Like I, That was one of the things I wanted to bring up with Milwaukee is that they are leading in the playoffs. They're second in offensive rebounding percentage behind only the Boston Celtics. But the Boston Celtics only played five games, small sample, yada, yada, yada. The Bucks are the best offensive rebounding team in the playoffs. And they are by far the best defensive rebounding team out of every team that made it more than the first round. So, yeah, this Suns team is kind of middle of the pack and both are actually quite poor on the offensive glass. So, yeah, I think there is something to be said for Milwaukee's ability to crash the boards, to maybe stifle Phoenix's transition offense, because that's another thing they have. Like you say, they're, they're very good transition offense. And then if that doesn't work, they can slow down, they can run the half court with CP3. So they have a lot of ways to hit you, but that is a real strong suit of theirs, like you mentioned. And the Milwaukee Bucks are really good at stifling that. Uh, one thing that immediately stands out to me when I think that is who can the Bucks get onto the floor? Because my initial thought in this series is how badly Milwaukee will look if they try to play drop coverage, if they try to play um, Brooke Lopez, I think, in pick and rolls. Because we've seen very, very often, I mean, Miami, I think, was a textbook example. The drop coverage really gets eaten alive by jump shooting teams. And if you're letting Chris Paul and Devin Booker step into 
if it's an open shot, Chris Ball and they're both probably like 55% mid-range shooters, let's be honest, if they're getting open shots, if you're just allowing them to step into that because you're bringing Brooke Lopez on to try to crash the glass, I'm not sure if the what you're gaining is being made up, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the give and take between what you're gaining on the glass, what you might be gaining in the post, the ability to kind of have a big body on eight and how much you're losing by not being able to switch out to these jump shooting guards. I, so I'm really, and I'm not sure what the right answer to that is. I'm not sure if Milwaukee can utilize their rebounding as well as they can do as well as we'd hope they would in this series. If the matchups just mean that guys like Brooke Lopez, there are long periods of the game where they can't put them on the floor. Really. What do you think are who do you think are gonna be some of the defensive matchups in, in, in this series on for, for, for Phoenix? Um when we're talking about who on Milwaukee is gonna defend who on Phoenix. Because like you have to figure that like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are gonna be playing heavy minutes guarding um Chris Paul and Devin Booker respectively. But like Aiden Aiden's an interesting one because if if we're going just position by position, you would expect Lopez to really want to try to contain Aiton as much as possible. But like I think that's where Giannis might actually end up on defense, and then they try and hide Lopez back as, as much as they possibly can. You mentioned him not being able to close out effectively. Yeah, that's going to be a problem if those guards on Phoenix are able to to get away from those milwaukee perimeter defenders and they're able to to whip the ball around and hit the the corner shooter whoever it is mikhail bridges cam johnson but like that that probably i i would think is where bud starts defensively do you have any other different thoughts on how you think they might approach that oh i i started out slightly differently but i came to the similar conclusion you did i started out my first thought is right Giannis on jay crowder that gives him the best option to be a help defender in these okay. matchups, but I then I was I did think like right, but then you have Lopez on Aiton or um Bobby Portis on Aiton or something like that. Giannis is probably the best option there because he can muck up some of what Aiton does um going to the basket. And like you say, if they want to run that in pick and roll, then you're letting Giannis kind of swallow up CP3 and not be afraid to get out to the perimeter while having Brooke Lopez. Maybe Brooke Lopez on Jay Crowder in the corner. If Jay Crowder is going to be in the corner, if they want to involve Jay Crowder in a pick and roll, that's Milwaukee probably are willing to live with that. But having Brooke Lopez being able to kind of guard him in the corner and rotate around on the back line, if Giannis is being dragged out to the perimeter defending, Milwaukee probably live with that as well. I totally agree. Holiday um, on CP3, I think is a given for this series. But I also think that Drew Holiday is probably the best guy to guard Devin Booker. So, yeah, you're stuck in that matchup. Like Chris Middleton, yeah, um, maybe on Bridges to then be a help defender, but you don't want to leave Bridges open. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure who you throw on. And maybe Tucker out there. I'm not. Mm, that's tough. But then if you're playing guys like Bryn Forbes or um, Reporters or anyone like that, I'm pretty yeah I, i'm not sure how comfortable i feel playing those guys either because cp3 is going to get them in pick and roll and he's going to eat them alive which is something i don't think um anytime um milwaukee's kind of had to deal with that i'm not sure they've really faced anyone 
really, apart from Trey Young, who could, you know, pick apart teams like that. And they they did. Like um Milwaukee's defense, I think, suffered slightly against Atlanta, with Trey Young being able to pick at them at their weak spots. Like, just to give you an, an idea, like I had Milwaukee's defense has like they were plus fifteen against Miami. They were they just shut down the Miami offense. They were plus ten against Brooklyn, which there's a lot of noise there because Brooklyn didn't really have their best players, but they were still 10 points better than the league average. They're only five better than um, the average against Atlanta, which tells me kind of those real cerebral ball handling, kind of creating scoring guards, those heliocentric offenses, they can pick apart because Milwaukee doesn't have a lot of depth. They can pick at that. So I'm not sure how short Bud's lineups are going to be, but I'm not sure Milwaukee can play too many guys out there. I think that limits them a little bit. It does. So two two reasons, I think, why I want Drew Holiday being the one to guard Chris Paul. The, the, the first reason is that you mentioned that Chris Paul is going to put those guys in a heavy blender of pick and roll, and that's probably just what's coming. And Drew Holiday is arguably the best guard defender in terms of fighting through screens that we have in the NBA. So that's that would be my first reason. My second reason, I know Drew Holiday has really good length to him. He's definitely one of the longer guards in the league. But in terms of his overall size and stature, when comparing him to Booker, who's 6'6", gets great verticality on his jump shot, who rises up and can fire over almost anybody, I think I actually would rather have Middleton contesting a lot of those shots if he's there to contest than than mm. drew holiday that's kind of like my personal opinion but um that's definitely where i would want the matchup to go there yeah it's going to be really interesting because when when you look at the milwaukee bucks defensive profile because obviously um the, we talked about phoenix being the top defensive team in the playoffs milwaukee's right there at number two so they obviously do a lot of things well um on, on that end they've been anemic and at times on offense and i'm sure steve will bitch and complain about that when whenever he gets on here but um so, so the bucks are as i mentioned they were first in terms of stopping transition offense they were fourth against um ball handlers scoring out of pick and roll sets fifth against spot ups seventh against um the the roll man scoring out of pick and roll sets fourth against handoffs and third against cuts so really their their main weakness out of like the quote unquote top categories is they were only average guarding against isolation play so far mm-hmm. in the playoffs so but that kind of plays to what they want to do right there they live with some of those if you get us on an island and we force you into a really tough jump shot as long as we're contesting it that's what we want to happen we want you to make those hard mid-range shots which ironically is phoenix's bread and butter so that's what's really so interesting about it but i don't think phoenix is going to be able to take advantage of some of those nifty and crafty offensive type possessions that they were able to do like i i said before the suns lakers series started like one of the best ways the suns can beat the the lakers is that ha- despite how talented the lakers are defensively they they get a little cocky and a little arrogant at times and they let those backdoor plays happen they'll just let them happen and they'll kind of just look at each other lebron might be mad at somebody he might give somebody a scowl but then they'll, they'll march down the other end of the floor and they'll look to get into their offense, right? Um, they, and Phoenix was able to do that to pretty much every team they played 
so far. And they certainly did that to the Clippers too. They caught them napping on defense during games as well. So you're, you're not going to catch Milwaukee napping on defense. They, they have ways to counter the, those easy play types. They proved it all playoffs wrong. So um, how, how do you, you mentioned a, a healthy diet of pick and roll. What, what to you, Jacob is the sun's biggest key offensively to to winning in the NBA finals like if you had to pinpoint it to like a few different things what are your like biggest keys for them offensively um my biggest key regarding the Phoenix Suns is probably I think it's a bit try at this point but it is DeAndre Ayton on offense like I believe in DeAndre Ayton on defense to at least muck up quite a lot of what hap- what happens to Milwaukee like you said Milwaukee's offense has been a bit anemic at times and it can get into these ruts and I think that'll probably feed into DeAndre Ayton's strength because if it ends up being like right Giannis I'm going to run at this team I'm just going to you know the Giannis approach is I'm just going to run through a wall to try to win I'm not going to use finesse that might feed into you know DeAndre Ayton Jay Crowder around the paint that might really um, play to their strengths however if DeAndre Ayton can get into the paint and score at the rate he has been scoring so far this playoffs. I worry that that gives Phoenix kind of too many um, quivers to their bow in terms of attacking. Because like you say, they have that mid-range jump shot, which they will be going to a lot. And I think the mid-range gets a bit um, miss. There's a bit of misinformation around it regarding like, to me, the key to the mid-range jump shot is how it raises the floor of an offensive possession in that, you know, if someone is a 50% mid-range jump shot, that means their offensive rating um, foregoing fouls is 100 offensive rating. That's not good per se, but on a broken possession, being able to pull out a 100 offensive rating on a broken possession could be the difference between being an elite offense and being a good offense. Whereas DeAndre Ayton shoots about 8%. In the post, you know, that's a 106 plus. We're not even counting in the free throws he generates in the post, which aren't as good as they should be. He should be generating more, but still, they if they can pull that out, then I worry that having that option along with the mid range jumpers will give the kind of the overall average of Phoenix's offense just too much for Milwaukee to handle in this playoffs. That's kind of that's my number one is can DeAndre Ayton's offense elevate to the level it needs to be? Um, my number two is kind of role players. Can um, these guys come in and do a job? Because as much as I love the um, the depth they have at the top, like like we said at the top of this episode, they probably don't have, they might not have one of the two best players in this series. So if one of those guys aren't playing well, that can mean that it's going to more is going to fall on their role players. If they're role players, then kind of if campaign stops doing stops playing the way he's been playing, if Cam Johnson goes cold for a game, if, you know, Jay Crowder goes cold for a game that can cost them because they don't really have that margin for error. If their key players aren't playing well, whereas not to say Milwaukee does, but I worry that because these guys are maybe slightly lower impact, the best players on the Phoenix Suns, that then suddenly if the role players fall, um, that kind of falls out from under them, they could lose a few games. But that, um, 
whilst I think one thing I am really interested to see is can Chris Paul hold up against this level of defense? Because I don't think the, the Lakers were good, but they're also beaten up. I don't think they've really played an elite defense. And my issue with Chris Paul is at his age, he doesn't have that burst of speed he had when he was younger. My initial thought for the last couple of years is that Chris Paul, he doesn't have the edge, like those extra millimeters kind of to make space for his jumper, those extra millimeters to make angles for lay down passes that he had when he was younger. And I think that's something that can get exposed against really high level opposition. It hasn't really happened yet because they haven't played a lot of elite defenses. And I think Milwaukee is kind of the first time outside of, you know, a beaten up Lakers team that they've really had to deal with that. So I'm really interested to see if Chris Paul can keep being Chris Paul against this team. And that's kind of, that's kind of my key. That's, that's a really interesting last point that you just made, because that was something that I definitely wanted to, to get into. And, and Jacob, please, please forgive me. Feel free to smack me if you think I sound like a talking head at any point during <laughs> what I'm about to say. But I think that this is a really important point here. So Chris Paul has never been in the finals. This is his first finals. This may be his best shot now more than ever to win a championship. We know the ball is going to be in his hands a ton. Up to this point, though, he has really put a lot of trust and faith in the young guys and the role players like we've talked about to get the job done when they get the ball. Is Chris Paul going to have that same level of trust in those guys in the finals, or do we see an older Chris Paul try and put too much burden on his shoulders? Like, I'm here in the finals, all the pressure's on me. I need to be the one to, to deliver more than anyone because, you know, th th this is exact. This is why I'm here. This is why they brought me in. There, there was a young team that clearly had talent that was emerging, that went undefeated in the bubble last year, but they didn't have a veteran leader and a composer like me. And now I come in, I've ca helped carry this team this far, Obviously, with the help of others, but without me, this team probably wouldn't be here. This is what we're here for. The pressure's on me. Um, is that really an X factor for a negative for the Suns, Jacob? Do you see any of that coming into play, or does Nate just sound like a talking head and we need to move on to another? <laughs> no, I think, and it's definitely something that talking heads are going to be saying coming into this series. <laughs> I haven't listened, like, I don't watch, you know. Fox Sports or anything like that. So I don't know what they say in terms of these points, but it has been something throughout Chris Paul's career. I don't know if it's definitely been to the negative, but he does, you know, really increase his offensive load in the playoffs in terms of jump shots. Just as a general point, he shoots about 14 shots per game field goal attempts in the regular season for his career and about 16 per game in the playoffs across a huge sample size. So he is more aggressive in the playoffs and uh, you know obviously because of the opposition he's facing his efficiency drops slightly it's not that big a thing but yeah i i want to believe chris paul at 36 years old whatever he is now i don't know if he's 35 or 36 or even 37 i really don't know whatever he is old man chris paul i like to think he has too much understanding of the situation. He has been in Western Conference Finals before. He has been in do-or-die series before with his legacy on the line. I would like to think that he has the 
emotional intelligence at his age and the trust in his teammates to um, not play like that. And I think, I do believe that if he does play like that, I think there are characters in this team. I believe Monty Williams, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, I, I think all of them would get on his ass about acting like that, about you know trying to play hero ball with this team. I don't believe that's going to happen. Wouldn't I wouldn't put it totally past Chris Paul at this point. I think the best chance the Phoenix Suns have in this series, regardless of the play types, we've gotten a little specific into the X's and O's, a lot of the numbers behind everything, but I think the biggest thing for me is Devin Booker has to be that guy. And this feels really like when... Shaq and Dwayne Wade had to go out there and win a title in, in Miami. We knew what Shaq was capable of. And I think we view Chris Paul in the same way, both of them being the the elder statesman to the younger star on that roster. But like Dwayne Wade came out and showed everyone that he was ready for that stage and he was ready for that moment to be that guy in, in such a young portion of his career. And And I know that Devin Booker's technically been around for a little bit now. He's not like the youngest pup. I wouldn't call him an elder statesman by any means, but like this is really his first big stage. And I think if he takes that Dwayne Wade level leap that year that 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 D Wade did in the finals for Miami, and that that to me is Phoenix's best chance to to win a championship. If they rely too heavily on Chris Paul and Devin Booker isn't ready for that moment, even if Giannis isn't one hundred percent, I think Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton have proven to to this point like this is a different playoffs for them. Like, like they, they are in Milwaukee for a reason. They want to win a title as much as anybody else. They, they've had so much pressure on them through the Eastern Conference run because of Milwaukee's failures uh, up, up to this recent year. Like, and, and man, watching, watching Chris Middleton, man, during, during this whole playoff run has been re- remarkable. I, I, I didn't think the guy had it in him, to be perfectly honest. Like, I know that I've always thought of Chris Middleton as, like, a really good player. But I didn't know if he was definitely that, again, not to sound too much like a talking head, but I didn't know if he was like that second banana to Giannis for for them to be able to win a championship in Milwaukee or truly be that caliber of a team. So I just think, yeah, if Devin Booker's not ready for that moment, I think Giannis has two other guys who are ready. And and that would be, to me, one of the bigger differences in the series and, and why Milwaukee might have a chance to actually upset who is the favorite um, in the Phoenix Suns. I don't know if you have any other thoughts to add on that specific point. Oh, I mean, I think regarding your Chris Middleton point, I would still say, like, historically speaking, Chris Middleton's probably a step down from where, you know, the second best player on a championship team usually is. I think the X factor for the Milwaukee Bucks is that Drew, Hod- Drew Holiday is a step above what a third option for a lot of you know, championship level teams generally is outside of obviously the Warriors and LeBron's teams, which are kind of warped our perspectives on these teams. I mean, you think back to say Kobe's Lakers, you know, outside of Powell and Kobe, Drew Holiday would probably be the third best player the way he's been playing um, this season and kind of the level he can reach at his best. He'd probably be the third best player on that team. You know, you think of the Toronto Raptors. I think he's better than Pascal Siakam was at that level. So I think, having that extra buffer that Drew Holiday offers that obviously Eric Bledsoe, not that I want to shit on Eric Bledsoe more than he has been 
for this season. You know, the two teams he's left have um, gone to the finals after he's left. But Drew Holiday definitely gives the Milwaukee Bucks, I think, an extra buffer as their third best player on nights being their second or even first best player that they didn't have before that allows, like you say, Chris Middleton, who is a very, very nice player, like a real all-star level player, wherever you want to rank him, he can pull it out on nights as well. And then obviously Giannis as their absolute world-beating player who gets shat on, I think, quite a lot for, you know, maybe not having the gaudy regular season numbers that he has. But I think no matter what happens, Giannis is probably going to be my MVP of this playoffs. Wow. Even, even with his ups and downs. Yeah, I think that um, overall, like we talk about, because obviously you need to play to have value. So guys that reach the finals have uh, kind of have this inbuilt advantage in this kind of thing. But yeah, it came down for me. I realized whoever really won out of Trey and Giannis, because they'd be going to the finals and having the chance to stamp themselves on a finals performance, they would be my MVP. And at this point, I'm pretty sure it's going to end up being Giannis is my MVP for the playoffs, regardless what happens. Unless he obviously plays really, really bad, which I don't think Giannis is going to do. I think Giannis is still going to get his. Like We can talk about how bad he's been. He's still averaging like 30 points in these playoffs. He's still one of the best players in the league. And Phoenix, as much as I want to say DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder, especially Jay Crowder, is a bit of a Giannis stopper. There's no one who can really guard him. So, yeah, like I, I pick the Phoenix Suns, but the Milwaukee Bucks have the, that X factor where, you know, the difference between relying on Devin Booker to win you a game and relying on a two-time MVP to win you a game. Like... There's there there are levels to this, I think. I I think you just hit on a lot of excellent points, Jacob, and and a lot more of the the Milwaukee talk at the end of this leads <laughs> us into a perfect segue. Um, we're gonna take a short intermission. When we come back, we're gonna dive deeper into the Milwaukee Bucks side of this. I think we've hit on everything we need to with, with Phoenix. It's time to have some Bucks talk when we come back. This is the Draft Deeper podcast. And we are back to talk about the second team, mainly that's in the NBA Finals, the Milwaukee Bucks. Jacob is still here with me. And as promised, making his draft deeper debut, it's about damn time, in the words of LeBron James. Steve Sabatini. Steve, introduce yourself to my audience. It's about time, my friend. What's up, man? Well, yeah, if you didn't use, uh, you know, it took me about 15 minutes to get logged in and, uh, and updated on this thing. No, man, um, I am one of the, uh, the co-creators, I guess, of the Overstated, and Jacob and I do a podcast together. And yeah, you probably, um, I'm just basically the Bucks and Six guy. That's basically all I can say. You can tell my voice is uh, still a little bit raspy. Um, it, was a, it was a good weekend. It was a good, good, good weekend celebrating uh, Milwaukee's first NBA Finals trip in my lifetime. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, you got you got a uh, you got on the camera for for one of your local stations about the Bucks because you you went to the dang airport when they were all coming in, Steve. I did. There, oh there was God. there was lots of alcohol involved to get me to go to the airport, and uh, my buddy picked me yeah, up. The airport yeah. was probably like the cleanest part of your celebration, if I had to guess. But I guess <laughs> now apparently that's tainted too. It's all tainted, Nathan. It's all tainted. <laughs> it's all tainted. 
Oh, my God. I'm glad to have you on, man, because you're the only person that I would want to talk Milwaukee Bucks with at this point. Mr. Bucks was Jacob, was Jacob Was Jacob just telling you how Phoenix is going to win in, like, four or five and just giving you some, like, analytic stuff like that? That's probably all he did, was. right? Was. I was giving him yeah. that nerd shit. L- listen, listen. Nobody picks Suns in four or Suns in five. <laughs> I picked this. I picked the Suns in six. All right. I gave you guys two games. So, but oh, all right, that's fine. With that being I, said, Mister Mister Bucks in six. The Bucks actually won a playoff series in six games. So your hashtag that you've been using for the past like three years has finally meant something. But three years, dude. We've been using that since Brandon. You know where Bucks in six started? The culture. But what? Where? No, tell me where where the culture started, Steve. Well, it started with you. Remember that team that Milwaukee had with Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis, and they were the A seed, and they were going up against Miami. And I think it was somebody can fact check, but I believe it was the the first title Miami won, either the first title or the second title. I can't remember, but I mean Miami was an overwhelming favorite. And Craig Sager, he asked Brandon Jennings what his prediction was, and he said Bucks and six. And clearly, in true Milwaukee Bucks fashion, we got swept. But Bucks and Six has just always stayed as this little uh, poor me hashtag that we just we just use here, and that's how oh. it started. Oh my God, I totally forgot about that freaking. But I totally forgot about the Brandon Jennings interview. That that now it all makes so much more sense. I literally thought that you were pulling that out of your ass for the longest time. I'm, oh, I'm man. not even and, kidding. And then when he came back, he came back and was on the G League team, and someone asked him about it, and that's where that's where Jacob alluded to, and Brandon Jennings said, "Hey, man, Bucks and Six always for the culture," and it just it just is stuck, man. Well, I want you to lay out the Bucks culture for my audience, Steve. I want you to get up on your soapbox while you have the time here and tell wow. my audience, tell us about the specific playoff experience for you this year for the. Milwaukee Bucks from start up until now what has that experience been like for you what are your what are your thoughts about your team heading into the finals well the first round I was pretty and if you listen to us at the overstated NBA I said this I, I thought my Milwaukee was going to beat Miami pretty well it, it was clear you know we're not in the bubble anymore and Miami especially after watching that first game Miami just couldn't guard Milwaukee and Milwaukee played a completely different style and they had played before. There was a lot more switches in the ball movement. The ball was flying around the perimeter. The, so then we get to the next series. And that's when kind of, I, I feel like, and for your audience that doesn't know me, I am not a homer by any stretch of the imagination. I have no problem ripping on my team when I feel like my team needs to be ripped on. And it, I don't want to make excuses for them, but it felt like during the Brooklyn series, Milwaukee was preparing for Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant. And once Harden was out, what, in the first 90 seconds of that game, Milwaukee, it took Milwaukee a really long time to adjust. And they played right into Brooklyn's hands almost every single game of playing one-on-one. The ball just literally stopped. And whether it was Chris, uh, Drew, Giannis, it just stopped in their hands. And they kind of, they couldn't figure it out. And I mean, Giannis was spectacular. And I do think as frustrating as it was for a Bucks fan, if Kevin Durant just doesn't go crazy like he did, in um, game five and Milwaukee blows like 20 plus point lead. And one of just, I think Jacob, what did you call it? The, the, the one of the worst games you've ever seen in your life. It, it, it was bad. And, but you know, I, I do think there's something to going on the road, winning a game seven. And like I said, it, it took 
you know, Kevin Durant just playing unbelievable. But it was frustrating from a Bucs standpoint where they didn't hunt mismatches, right? In Milwaukee, if there is a criticism on on, on Coach Bud, I, I think that's what it is, where he just – there was no high screen pick and roll to try to get James Harden in a one-on-one situation. And, I mean, Giannis, you even saw – there was that famous thing where, where where Chuck called him out on it. You know, Giannis gets the ball on the block. James Harden waves off a defender. And instead of just going right into him and using his size and his length, he takes a fadeaway, you know, jumper, which was just very frustrating. So you do win, uh, you know, game seven at Brooklyn, heart attack central. And then, you know, we, we have to play Atlanta. And I was kind of a humble brag here. Those, those, the real ones will know what that is. Shout out to Ryan and Silo, but um, I have, I, we have season tickets. So I was at, I was at a lot of these games. It was very clear early on in game one at the Pfizer forum, Atlanta, just, they, they, they couldn't guard Milwaukee. They, they, they Giannis, they got everything that they wanted inside and it took Trey Young, you know, putting 48 points up uh, for, for Atlanta to kind of, I, I felt like Atlanta stole that one. I think, Game two came back. Milwaukee just wiped the floor with them. Then you have game three, which is the Chris Middleton game, where you know, I, you guys have seen. I've said this to both of you guys before. Bucks are going to go as far as Chris Middleton takes them. Uh, Giannis is the guy that's going to get you. You you can basically pencil it in now. I, I mean, he's he's going to get you 35, 30, 35, and probably ten to fifteen rebounds a game with a couple of assists. But he's not the guy that's gonna that's going to be closing. It's going to be Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And then game four happens, which was one of I'm 34. I've seen a lot of bad Bucks basketball. That was one of the worst Bucks games I've ever seen in my entire life. It looked like uh, it literally looked like they were at Magic City on that Monday night. And they just thought, you know, on Tuesday they were going to show up and it was going to be game over. And it wasn't. And that was the it was just really, really embarrassing. Giannis gets hurt, you know, the five minutes into the second half, and you're just going as a Bucks fan. You're like, hey, typical Bucks, like, like here we go, here we go. And then game five happens. I was at that game. I mean, Brook Lopez, everything that he got was on cuts. I mean, you could kind of the I don't the Milwaukee Bucks are not better without Giannis on the court, but without Giannis on the court, it opens up the middle for Drew and Chris Middleton, especially to penetrate. You saw that in in the bubble last year. I mean, even Eric Bledsoe got to the rack when Giannis wasn't in there and they, they completely changed their offensive game. And then, you know, game six was just, you know, Chris Middleton, finally, he, he got hot, you know, and you had some Chris Middleton is a very streaky, streaky player. I love that. He's uh he's never gun shy though. He's always just going to keep chucking and he got hot Milwaukee. You know, I, I, I kind of shit my pants a little bit when they blew a 20 point lead in the f- fourth quarter. And I, 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 I said a couple of, uh, couple of bad words and just kind of said this can't be happening again but they won man and and, and here we are man we're the NBA finals which starts in about you know hour and a half here it's a it's a very surreal I was I was joking with some some of my buddies like I, I wish they didn't play today and they're like why man I'm like dude I need a break I just need like an extra day to recover from all this but, but like, here we go man. we're right back into it and I'm excited. It looks like Giannis is. I don't know if he's going to play tonight. I know he got updated to questionable, but he looks I, good in the warmups. He looks good. Well, I mean, I, I'm surprised given the way that his that his knee bent. I'm actually surprised that he's playing. I thought for sure the first game would be Game Three at home with the crowd into it and everything like that. Regardless of what happened in the first two games, but I don't. I think Milwaukee still has a chance without Giannis, but I I think with if they had a healthy Giannis, I think that. Uh, 
Milwaukee would have and should have been the favorites. Now, I mean, you're relying on you're relying on Middleton and Drew Holiday and a couple of those other guys, and you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. So that's that's kind of where my mindset is. Like I'm I'm super excited, super nervous. You know, you got you kind of got everything going to you, but just to um just to get there, man. I mean, that's for for overcoming what they had to overcome is pretty. It's pretty damn special, and it's uh yeah, man. It's as PJ Tucker said, man. We're a bunch of dogs. Got a bunch of dogs on our team. Well, we we I think everybody loves PJ Tucker in, in some form or fashion, and he's a fun guy to root for. So I definitely echo that sentiment. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Steve. The James Harden or no James Harden, the fact that you guys were able to take down that Brooklyn team, I I personally think that's still a monumental feat, just given the level that Kevin Durant was playing at through that whole series. I well, mean, some know, of, some of those games. And that's what nobody nobody talks about. And I understand the and I get why people think this way that hey, if those guys, all three of those guys were healthy, they they run right over Milwaukee. For for the record, I picked Brooklyn in six before that series started, thinking that those guys were going to be healthy. But at the same time, I mean, if those two, if Kyrie and Harden are still hundred percent healthy, is Kevin Durant going to go for almost fifty a game? You know, I don't think we get this version of Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant had to, you know, he he had to play like that just for Brooklyn to have a chance. And I keep going back to game five and I know people are going to talk about that as the Kevin Durant game. And, and, and I understand why, but I can't Milwaukee just looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, to blow a 20 plus point lead in, in a playoff game. And I don't want to, uh, you know, kind of rub dirt in your wounds here, Nathan, but I think after that game, Philly was like, Philly took that crown right after though. So I thank you for that. I thank you for uh, my, my team said, Oh, my beer, watch this. hundred <laughs> percent. And, and, but those two teams, I, I I think that they were kind of on a collision course. And I, I yeah, I just, I, I credit Milwaukee for coming back. Like I said, I think there's, you can't take anything away from a team winning a game seven on the road, especially in overtime. And they've never done that before. I think Milwaukee was 0-3 in, in their history of game sevens. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty big accomplishment. I, I'm with you. I, I think, again, not trying to take away anything from from Brooklyn, but I think Milwaukee kind of rose to the challenge a little bit. Before I go over to Jacob, Steve, I want you to talk to me about how you're feeling about the Bucks offensively. Because I, I got to be honest, man, so, some of these numbers are <laughs> for, for there's there where they rank in terms of different synergy percentiles within the playoffs. The numbers aren't pretty, man. Like your your best form of offense is on putbacks. You're in you're in the you're rank five amongst other playoffs. Oh, this, Everything this, else this is pretty been... average to below average. Well, this is this is kind of like the real, you know, Bucks fans know this. Like the, the problem with with their flameouts kind of in the last three years under Budenholzer is it's not that the defense goes away. I think isn't isn't Milwaukee like either one or two? I think these are the two best yeah, defensive teams second, up in the playoffs. Yep, yep. First and second, respectively. Phoenix is first, uh, Milwaukee's second. So it's never been the last three years. It's never been their defense. It's that their offense just disappears every single playoff game. I mean, you, you kind of see it and you're kind of waiting for a, hey, something's got to, something's got to change. I think Milwaukee is shooting like, what is it? 30% or something like that from, from three point range. I mean, they just, they seem to, they're just stuck in mud. And I, I think some of that definitely falls on Mike Brunholzer. I, I, I do think that the criticism for him is, is valid there because I think their offense in the regular season is Giannis is just going to play really hard and we're going to shoot a bunch of threes to open things up. And, and that's basically been their offense. Like That's why I keep going back to if Middleton is on, there's a pretty good chance the Bucs are going to win. If Middleton is just even slightly off, 
it's going to be a long night. And, and that's what I think has been the Bucks kryptonite is they, they really don't, they really don't have an offense that they run. Now, if you look against that Atlanta series, they definitely use Giannis a little bit differently. He was the role man a lot. And Nathan, I think you and I have talked privately about this. I've been screaming for Giannis to be the role man for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in that, uh, you know, a little bit of a kind of what DeAndre Ayton does coincidentally. So I just, I don't know where the offense is going to come from. I, I think, I'm, I'm curious to see what Phoenix is going to do defensively against Milwaukee because I do think there is potential for Drew Holiday to get to the rack. I mean, the two regular season games they had, now granted that was with 100% Giannis, I mean, they were very close games. I just think that their offense is predicated on too many threes. And, you know, for those, I'm sure, Nathan, you, you know, you're a big TNT fan as I am. I, I mean, I, those guys were spot on. I, I mean, Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez, I think – and in some cases should be inside. In some cases, I understand why he's on the outside, but they just, they, I'll just say it. I'll stop beating around the bush. We're just a dumb basketball team. We do, we do a lot of dumb stuff. And, you know, I think some of that comes down to coaching. I think some of that comes down to, oh, Giannis, I, I, it'd be nice. Everyone keeps saying Giannis needs to develop a three-point shot. He needs to develop some sort of mid-range. I think he just needs to develop a, you know, be a 70% free throw shooter, 70, 75%, maybe get a post move. I think that would help, but I, I just think, you know, when that wall gets built, Milwaukee doesn't, and their shots aren't falling, the offense just isn't pretty and they don't know what to do. Yeah, sometimes you kind of just have to simplify the the offensive attack to take better advantage of what that player's strengths actually are. And 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 Jacob and I went into length talking about what the Suns have done with DeAndre Ayton throughout this whole playoff run. And, and sometimes Giannis doesn't have to be that all-world creator type of guy to, to save the day because they have other guys capable of doing that. Maybe the answer is just simplifying Giannis's role at times when he doesn't have it going from, from the outside. And as, yeah, as you mentioned, the TNT guys have talked about consistently, he's a big man. He's not this Kevin Durant type player. He's not a guard. He's a big man. So sometimes you have to just simplify it, use him as a role man, use him more as a big man. And, and when you simplify it to that level on offense, then generally you're getting a lot more efficient looks. And as I've said, with how the Suns have used Aiton, the Suns generally want to hunt for an open three-point shot or maybe one of those mid-range shots off of like a double screen or whatever. But if that shot isn't initially there, they're comfortable with dumping it off to Aiton when there's like 13 to 11 seconds left in the shot clock and walking away with the two and going back on the other end. Sometimes, as you point out, Milwaukee stupidly doesn't do that. And they walk away with zero points. Three's greater than two, but two's greater than zero. And that's kind of been one of my points throughout this whole playoff run. Jacob, what, what are what are some of the things you're looking for in Milwaukee um, from an offensive standpoint for, for them? We touched on some of the defensive stuff a little bit, and I'll kick it back over to Steve when you're done, and I'll get some of Steve's defensive thoughts on Milwaukee. But what do you want to see from them on the offensive side of the ball? Um, probably what I'm most interested to see, actually, is something we brought up earlier. Who can Milwaukee play? And they get into these kind of crunch time lineups because we know we can be pretty certain Drew Middleton, Giannis are going to play. We can we can be pretty pretty certain of that. It's does Bryn Forbes get run out? Can he actually out there and make a couple threes? How what's Brooke Lopez's role going to be? What is Patty C? Can Patty C actually play twenty five minutes in a finals game? I have no no idea. I have no idea if Steve has any idea if Pat Connaughton can actually play 25 minutes. Well, on the he, 
he looked he looked actually really good last series. Um, you know, I I've been pretty hard on on PC and and he he looked really good. I thought last series he he tries his ass off on defense. I mean, he he got a lot of all the hustle balls. I thought that he got and even in that game six, you know, his three point shot was falling. And I think to to, to answer the question for you, Jacob, I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, if 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 the big guy Giannis can't go, I mean, you know, Brooke Lopez is going to be playing 30, 35 minutes a game. PJ Tucker's going to be playing. Like all those guys are going to be playing. I think though, the one guy that won't be playing, coincidentally, is Brent Forbes. I think outside of that Miami series, he just hasn't been able to get it going offensively. And we already know, you know, he's he's a huge liability defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. But outside of Brent Forbes, you're a bit of a you don't have much shooting outside of that and that's I worry that Milwaukee have kind of taken on kind of the identity of Giannis in that they're just this kind of blunt force team you know like they'll they'll see like a a round hole and they've got a square peg they'll just try to force that square peg into the round hole and just break it if they have to that's kind of what they've been doing for a lot of these um certainly against Brooklyn felt like they just they were like you know what none of this is working we're just going to keep pushing through and just try to make it work. We're just going to keep battering down that wall. And I, I I, wonder if Milwaukee can do that against Phoenix because they certainly have the talent. They certainly, Giannis, you know, he can't be guarded by anyone. And Middleton and Drew should be able to get stuff off. Like you say, like Middleton will probably be guarded by Mikel Bridges for a lot of the series and probably not play that great on offense. Certainly, you'll probably get guarded pretty well. Um, but Drew... CP3 is 36 years old. Drew should be eating him on the perimeter. He should be getting him in pick and rolls and dealing with CP3. I don't care that CP3 is one of the elite perimeter kind of point guard defenders of his generation. He's like five years older than you. Do something, figure out a way well, you're, to get past him. You're assuming, though, that CP3 is going to be Andrew Holly. I don't know if he's going to be. I mean, who are you putting on? Are you going to put Booker on it? Like, Booker's probably big enough but i don't again like booker i don't think booker has the foot speed like a pick yeah, but I, if, I, if i was phoenix though i'd put if if either way if milwaukee's going to throw out i'm assuming it's going to be the regular starting lineup of drew chris lopez um pj tucker and whoever that fifth guard spot is i'd put chris paul on either pj tucker or pat Connaughton, and i would save chris paul because i think they're going to need him on the offensive end more so on the defensive end I don't know if you put him on somebody like PJ Tucker because if if you're the Bucks, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Don't you kind of want to have the ball in in Middleton's hands more often than not, and look for switches and mismatches to get Chris Paul on Middleton? Then you kind of have your one-on-one matchups with your big isolation wing to to go. Sure, Isn't ideally, that kind of what you want to do. Ideally, but if you saw, if you go back to that Atlanta series, I mean, all PJ Tucker did was sit in the sit in the corner. I mean, they had. I think I think in, in a couple spots in that game, they even had Trey Young sitting on PJ, just hiding him. And and PJ didn't really necessarily abuse him. Now in game six, he kind of got going. I mean, he's still he's has struggled mightily from three, especially in the Eastern Conference Finals. I know he had a big one in game six, but I mean he had he had a couple runners. He started to figure things out. But that's you know, I, you guys can't see me, but I'm smiling right now because that's like when you say typical Bucks, like it takes them a couple games to kind of figure out these adjustments. So I'm not sure. I just know, it, it, going back to Jacob's point, if you're Chris, if you're Phoenix and you're Chris Paul and you're 36, I'm trying to save that guy 
as much as possible yep. on the offensive end, more so than the defensive end. No, I, I agree with that completely. I think if you're the Bucks offensively at this point, your primary mindset has to be how can we make Chris Paul work as much as possible and getting creative and finding different ways to get him moving on defense versus exactly as you pointed out, Steve, letting him sit in the corner and conserve that energy on defense, that's not going to help you on the other end. So I think that that's definitely a big key for Milwaukee offensively in this series. Um, tri trivia question for you, too. I want to see if you guys get this one. Um, Spot-up offense. Bucks offensive player. Who do you think has the best spot-up percentile rating in the playoffs out of any Bucks player? Ooh. Is it a trick question? None of them. <laughs> who, who do you guys think it is as, as well as total offense total offense and, and spot up who do you think the best guy's been for the bucks the playoffs um, and during the playoffs you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with uh brooke that's what i'm gonna go with lopez yeah i was either gonna say brooke or i was gonna say pat Oh. Brooke is actually total offense is is tied with Patty C. Patty C has been your best spot up player in the playoffs, and he's been tied for most efficient total offensive threat. Um, Did, I granted, Did I not just say that? Did I not just say that? Jacob suck it. Can Jake can talk about twenty five minutes in the finals game? <laughs> now, 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 granted, obviously, you know they're not nearly as the same type of volume as as Giannis and, and Middleton and Holiday. But to that credit, like Steve was talking about, like and Jacob too, like somebody like Patty C has to be able to step up in, in, in some of these playoff moments, and they have to be able to hit the open shots when they're given them, right? Because you, you know, listen, Middleton's played out of his damn mind and, and steve i'll let you talk about middleton if you want to in, in a little bit kind of your whole experience with him because he's definitely lived up to his expectations in a big way but like yeah drew holidays hit some big shots for for the bucks throughout the playoffs but overall like he really hasn't been that spectacular offensively to be honest like he's in the 22nd percentile amongst playoff players overall what, what is he offense. shooting from three isn't he shooting like 28 percent from three or something like that yeah, it's, crazy. it's pretty bad specifically from three-point range that's a great question um but i mean I'm overall offense overall offense he's like i said he's in the 22nd percentile spot up looks he's in the 21st percentile so that's really where a lot of those jump shots are coming from shooting 16 for 44 on spot up type shots so that that's not good you you, you need more from drew holiday so what well, Go ahead, it, all it all depends on which Drew Holiday shows up. I thought that he was – now, he did hit some big shots at the end of that Brooklyn series, but I thought he tried to go one-on-one -on -one way too much against Brooklyn, and he, he, he was he, – offensively, he was terrible. In the first two games of the Atlanta series, I mean, I think he left there averaging almost 30 points a game. Game three kind of doesn't – you know, he I think he kind of maybe had eight points, but I know he had like 12 assists or, or something along those lines. But he even said it, it, it was a big thing here after game five. He was super aggressive that game. And he was asked about it after the game. And he said his teammates, his family, everyone, his coach, everyone's telling him to be more aggressive. And you could tell in game six, I mean, if you watch game six and, and at the end of that game, actually thought that Eric Bledsoe was a better player than Drew Holiday, I don't know what, you just 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 stop watching basketball because Drew Holiday was all over the place offensively and defensively. But offensively, yep. he figured out that 
quite early on too. Those guys can't just, they can't guard him. And it, it's going to be interesting if Chris Paul is on Drew Holiday, how they, he kind of approaches that matchup. Because I think Drew Holiday is, you don't realize, uh, he's a big guy, right? He play he plays very physical. Like he'll, he'll, he'll get that shoulder into your chest a little bit. Like he's, he's a tough little player. And I think if he stays aggressive, you know, that's going to, that's going to be in Milwaukee's favor. And if he comes out and he's, he's a little too passive and, you know, not, not driving to the hole, not staying aggressive, that, that, that plays right in the Phoenix hands, in my opinion. So we, we, you wanted to hear some of the shooting percentages for, for Drew for this playoff run. And I pulled them up, Steve. So he's shooting 42% from the field. 29.9% 29.9% from three. This number to me is the killer out of all of them is he's shooting 66% from the free throw line. Yeah. He's yeah. got to be better than that. That, yeah. that That's inexcusable. So yeah. I, I'm with you. And it, it's, it's, it's something the free throw shooting has, has, I mean, has plagued Milwaukee the last three seasons. I mean, I mean, we, Jacob has heard me, he's heard me talk about this almost every other podcast that we have when we, when we talk about Milwaukee, I, I think though, a lot of Drew's shooting numbers had to have come from that Brooklyn series because I think he he was just offensively he was just off he could not hit anything to save his soul. Mm-hmm. No, I did. I actually looked this up for um going on because I did see a still still a few people in our group are still saying it was a bad trade and there's not much difference. I actually looked up. I looked at every single one of Eric Bledsoe's playoff series with Milwaukee every single one of Drew Holiday's and only if you just say like, you know, Drew Holiday's um, Brooklyn series, I think that's his worst series he's had. Like you say, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. He played, I think, pretty inconsistently that series. I looked up Eric Bledsoe. I reckon Eric Bledsoe only outperformed any one of Drew Holiday's series one time. And that was the 2019 round one against Detroit. But he was on fire. If you actually look at Eric Bledsoe's numbers, every single series, it's like 22% from three, 34% from the field, 11 points, four assists. Like people have, I think people have really forgotten just how much of a negative offensively Eric Bledsoe was every single playoffs for the Bucks. Like even with everything else being equal, Drew Holiday playing at the level he's playing right now might be enough to take Milwaukee over the top. That's yeah, how close they were. Yeah, and just 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 to add on that, it, it, I don't think I think that Miami series is a lot tougher if Eric Bledsoe there. And you got to remember that Brooklyn series. I mean, Nathan, you could probably refresh my memory. I mean, the Brooklyn series feels like it was six months ago already. <laughs> but I mean, Drew Holiday was struggling. I, I want to say it was Game Seven, and Drew Holiday came down and hit three humongous yep. shots. Yep. Huge. Eric Bledsoe isn't hitting those shots, guys. No, he, there's no. no chance in hell he's hitting those shots, and he he would be killing Milwaukee's offense. And he, even looking in the Eastern Conference Finals, those first two games, he, he like I said, they couldn't stop him. And that game six, I mean, you saw him; he was guarding everybody on Atlanta's team. And it, it was really, really impressive. And yeah, I mean, he's he's phenomenal. You do that trade. 10 times out of 10. I know everybody says that they gave up too much, but you know what? You're in the NBA finals. You're four games no. away from being world champions. No, they, they didn't give up too much in that trade. That's anybody who says they'd rather have Eric Bledsoe and whatever the hell in that trade than, than Drew Holiday. They they haven't watched much basketball over the last, I don't know, four or five years because even, even defensively, and Steve, that's actually a great segue into getting some of your thoughts on, on what you expect from the Bucks 
defensively and what are some of your keys there is that Bledsoe's I I personally do not think that Bledsoe's in the same conversation defensively as Drew Holiday and and the main reason why I would say that is because there's arguably no better guard defender in the NBA fighting through screens than Drew Holiday and when you know that Chris Paul is going to want to play a healthy diet of pick and roll in the series like Jacob and I were talking about having a defender who can fight through those eight and monster sized man-child screens like Drew Holiday is really going to benefit them in the long run because you want somebody attached to Chris Paul's hip essentially as much as possible. And that's going to be one of the things to watch, but what are some of your other thoughts defensively for, for the Bucks, Steve, what do you want to see from them? Well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, Phoenix, Phoenix shoots a lot of corner threes and the Bucks don't give up a lot of corner. Like that's the one three that they don't give up. You know, they give up a ton of threes, but it's mostly from the top of the key. They kind of cut the corner threes off a little bit, but you know, Milwaukee, as, as we kind of saw with Trey, they're going to kind of give up that mid-range a little bit. Now, they're not going to follow you a lot, but they give up that mid-range. And, and who is the mid-range king? Chris Paul. So yep. it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust. It is How far is Brooke Lopez going to come up? Um, I'm sure they're going to play their drop coverage to start off the game. And I, I, I don't want to, you know, be over the top with this, but I think a lot of this def- depends on Giannis. You know, watching that game six of that that eastern conference finals milwaukee struggled to rebound a little bit you know there were a couple plays especially um often i thought atlanta got a lot of offensive rebounds in that game six and it was it was crystal clear it was because Giannis wasn't in there right so i I think that's going to be something to watch more so defensively i think that's going to be that's where Giannis is really going to be missed you know because he can spend some time on eight and and he's just i mean he's he's one of not the best help defender in the NBA. Right. So I I think that's where this kind of chess game is going to, is going to kind of come into play. And I, as a Bucks fan, I'm very nervous about this drop coverage. And I just, you know, Chris middle, I'm sorry, Chris Paul is the type of guy that could just mid range you to death and it'd be a slow death. I love the mid range. It's my favorite shot in basketball. So I'm kind of conflicted, <laughs> but I mean, that that's, that's my big fear as a Bucks fan is how are we going to defend that mid range? We give up a lot of them and Phoenix takes a lot of them. And that's, it's kind of looks like it's going to be, you know, two worlds colliding here. What do you, where, where do you want Giannis to be defensively, Steve? Cause I kind of have a feeling that at one point or another, he's going to end up on Deandre Ayton and he's going to try to help contain that pick and roll play as much as possible. Well, I, I think he has to. And again, it, this this all depends on how healthy this guy is. You know, we don't like I said, I I literally thought his ACL was done. I, I am I am consider me incredibly surprised that you know he's he's able to try and give it a go. Um, yeah, I expect him to. He'll probably be switching between eight and when we know you know they kind of have. Phoenix also has a guy that kind of gives him a lot of fits and and not only DeAndre Ayton but Jay Crowder as well. I expect that maybe Giannis can hide on Jay Crowder a little bit. Um, you know, kind of spare him a little bit to, for the burden that he has to do offensively. But I, I think you're going to see a lot of Giannis and DeAndre. So, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jacob. How how damning it is of, like, Coach Bud, that you are, Steve, you're just kind of resigned to the fact that, yeah, we're, yeah, we're probably going to start in drop coverage. Yeah, it's probably going to not work, but we're probably going to do it anyway. Well, I, I don't think... I don't mind that. I don't mind that they're going to start with it. I think, you know, this is going to sound very cliche, so feel free to make fun of me, but you know, in game one, they did that drop coverage and trade just to death, right? You just hit shot after shot, after shot, after shot, 48 points. Well, game two, Milwaukee didn't really change anything too much. They just played harder. You know, Brooke Lopez, like gave some sort of an effort or more effort than he was, 
that he, I mean, he was everywhere in, in game two and you saw that it just flustered Atlanta so much. So I don't necessarily mind that they start and drop coverage to see how the game, to see how it progresses, right? It's more so <laughs> when Chris Paul, if let's just say if he hits like, you know, he's got 12 points right away by halftime, right? And he's just mid-ranging them to death. Is Milwaukee, is Boonholz are going to have the stones to adjust? That's where my faith in him kind of is a little, is a little sketchy, right? Because he's not going to be what we just saw with Ty Lu in the Western Conference Final, where Ty Lu just said, I am not waiting more than a quarter. I will adjust, adjust, adjust until I find something that works, where Milwaukee is more so like, no, this is, this is kind of what we do. And then game four or five, they're down and they just go balls to the wall and they adjust basically every quarter, right? So, I mean, that's, that's where I, I get very nervous for Budenholzer. <laughs> oh man, you you your your relationship as a fan with Coach Bud Steve is God. I can't even imagine. I well, can't even I, imagine. I, I I defend him though. I mean, I, I mean, I think that that Brooklyn series was a little bit inexcusable. I think that was that was bad, right? That 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 was very bad. But I also think though, that, you know, the NBA is a league where. You know, players got to play and, you know, Milwaukee, you know, their players have to show up. And you, like I said, not to repeat myself that I said earlier, you know, if Chris Middleton is making shots and Drew Holiday is making shots and Giannis is, is, is not, you know, shooting threes and he's getting to the hole and he's getting fouled and he's making his free throws. I mean, Boonholzer looks like a genius, right? But when that doesn't happen offensively, and like I said at the top going into this segment, it's never been about defense with Coach Bud. His defense has always been fantastic since he's been in Milwaukee. It's offensively. And when those guys start missing shots, it's like, you know, they're, they've seen a ghost or they're stuck in mud and they don't know what to do. And that, I think some of that falls on, on Boonholzer. I, I think some of the other stuff is, you know, we're just, we, we try to go one-on-one too many times. We don't swing the ball around. And that's where it can be, <laughs> that's when it's very frustrating as a Bucs fan. So, Steve... I know you got places to be. I know you got a family to take care of, and you got to get yourself ready for game one. Everybody out there, we're obviously recording this before game one. So we 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 got to end this podcast getting all of our series predictions here. I will kick it off, then I'll kick it to Jacob, and I'll let Steve be the last one to give his final thoughts on everything going on here. But I, I, I'm picking the Suns in six. I, I think the Bucks are going to take game one tonight, to be honest with you. Whether, whether Giannis plays or not, I think the Bucks are going to come out and, and surprise Phoenix and show them a few things they aren't expecting. They're going to take game one. Then I think Phoenix takes three of the next four, and then I think Phoenix ultimately closes it out in, in game six. But I surprised Jacob with that too, Steve, when we were off the air talking about that, that I think if, if I was a betting man, I would, I would take the Bucks money line tonight. And, and I would ride with it, but that—that's my prediction for the series. Jacob, what's what's your prediction for the series? How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I'm gonna be—I'm gonna be a real wet blanket, as usual. Am I right, Steve? I am. Um, <laughs> I'm, gonna... <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to go. If Giannis is healthy, I reckon Bucks in seven. I love if, you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> if he's if he's not, if that leg, if he's just, you know, a superhuman and just trying to play through it, I think the Suns could win this in five if Giannis isn't hundred percent. But hopefully I hope Giannis is hundred percent because I would love to see Giannis win a title. I think 
he deserves it. I'd, I love seeing, you know, these young superstars join that pantheon. I really hope he does it. I'm, I'm going to go Bucks and seven, baby. Bucks and seven. See, this is my love oh. relationship with Jacob, Nathan. You see that? That's why Jacob's my dude. I love him. He's the greatest person ever. Um, you know, it's 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 crazy because if Giannis wins a title, he'd be he'd be younger than Jordan to win a title, and he's already a two-time MVP and a Defensive Player of the Year award winner. That is crazy, right? That is that is literally insane to do all that before you're you know you're 28 years old. Um, I'm kind of with Jacob. I, I think that if if Giannis is healthy and, and he looks good, I, I really do believe that the Bucs can win this in six. If Giannis isn't healthy, I, I think mm, as much as I hate to say it, I, I think Phoenix can. It'll be it'll be tough sledding for the Bucs. I think that uh, Phoenix would have a huge advantage, very huge advantage. But I I actually disagree with you, Nathan. I think I think Phoenix is going to win tonight, and I think Milwaukee can steal one uh, on Thursday. The the Bucks have been, outside of Miami, they have been terrible in game ones. And Phoenix has been really good. And I think that crowd is going to be, they're going to be amped up. I think Phoenix has had a week off. Milwaukee's coming in a little bit tired. I think that Milwaukee's going to come out tonight and they're, they're, it's going to be close. And I think just Milwaukee's just going to tire out. And, but I, I do think Milwaukee steals one of these first two games. I just think it's going to be game two. I think there's just going to be so much pressure on these young guys for Phoenix, not to say that the Bucks team has an incredible amount of finals experience either, but you, you can just tell Steve, and you, you've been watching this Bucks team throughout the whole playoffs that like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, like they, they are ready for this moment. And we think that Devin Booker is ready for this moment. We think that DeAndre is ready for this moment on the Phoenix side of things, but whether, whether Giannis plays or not, I know that those two are, are ready to step up. The Chris Middleton's shocked the hell out of me in this playoff run. We know what Drew Holiday is ultimately capable of. They're veterans. They, they, they've been around the block. They're not afraid to get in a street fight with some of these guys. I just think that them having that mindset, I think that that's why I think they're going to take game one tonight. I think the stage is going to be a little too bright for Phoenix in game one. And I think that Chris Paul might put a little too much pressure on, on his shoulders, kind of like what I talked about with Jacob before you got on, Steve. That like Chris Paul, the, he's never been to the finals. This is his best chance to win a ring, and he might feel like he has to do too much. And I don't. It, it's going to be really interesting to watch in this game one specifically how much he trusts the young guys to step up and keep because he's done that throughout this whole playoff run. Chris Paul's put enough trust in the young guys to make the shots when he's gotten them the ball. Is he going to do the same thing right out of the gate, or is he going to try to say this is my one chance for a ring? I'm going to try and take over the best that I can and, and getting himself more in the way of things would, would make it a little easier for the Bucks to hunt some of those mismatches that you want them to as well. So I don't know. Game, game one, it, it can go either way. Game one's going to be really, really, really interesting to watch. That's all I'll say. And any, any other final words from you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be telling my buddies here. It's going to be which, which Bucks team is going to show up. Now, is it going to be the smart team or is it going to be – you know, the team that uh, the team that's not very smart. I mean, I think that if they play smart and Giannis is healthy, even if Giannis is not healthy, if they play smart, you know, they they have a good chance. Like I could I could easily see the Bucks winning in seven games without Giannis. I, I, I truly, truly believe that. But they are going to have to play. Do you trust them to play seven games of smart basketball? I don't know. I don't know. And, and to me, that's going to be that's going to be a big indicator. And I'll, I'll just kind of say one more thing. 
basketball gods, I've been, I've been good to you. I've been humble. Just please, please let this team hit shots. Just please, come on, come on. Just, just all I'm asking for. Come on, come on. I think, I think it's going to be an entertaining finals one way or another. I think that we do have who have proven to be the two best teams on, on each side. You know, the, the, the Bucks have won a war of attrition. The Suns have also won a war of attrition. Like, there, there is no asterisk on this finals. I don't want to hear any of that dumb shit that, that talking heads talk about all the time on TV. Like, these are the two best teams from each conference. We're going to have one hell of a finals. I'm excited to watch all of it. Boys, I can't thank you so enough for joining me on, on the podcast to preview the finals. Um, Steve, you, you've talked about the overstated NBA. I've talked about the overstated NBA. Everybody else has been on here. You're the one who hasn't been on here yet. Tell everyone about where they can find the Overstated NBA, where they can find you guys, all that good stuff for my audience. Well, we do we do have a podcast. It's myself, Jacob, and Brett, who couldn't be here tonight. Um, we do we usually record every Sunday, and we just talk all things NBA. Um, but you really where a lot of the discussion is is the Overstated NBA Facebook group, and we we have a bunch of Overstated stuff. We have Overstated golf, Overstated. Um, NFL, overstated football. See what I just did for you, Jacob. Um, overstated, overstated pop culture, overstated baseball. But I mean, really, I think it's a good community. Um, we, we 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 try to keep it about basketball, a little current events, but mainly it's about it's good good basketball conversation. So everybody, come over to Facebook, come find us. And um, you know, I don't want to do a, a tease too much, but I think uh, the, the the overstated draft deeper are going to be uh, collaborating a lot more in the future. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've already teased a few things, Steve. I said a few weeks ago there's going to likely be a big announcement coming at, at some point. So um, the, definitely, though, the wheels are turning. But I, I couldn't be happier to to hopefully work with you boys on some more stuff in the future. Love you guys. You guys are awesome, and the content is always always top-notch whenever we get together so um for my audience out there thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast if you're not subscribed already what are you doing subscribe wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube follow us on twitter at draft deeper i'm always over there talking about basketball as they said join the overstated nba facebook group because i'm always in there talking about basketball as well so come join the conversation that's how we all get better at this is we all get to share thoughts and ideas with one another and connect. And and we will continue to be pumping out episodes related to the draft leading up to everything going on at the end of the month. we got plenty of content planned. So stick around, stay tuned, enjoy the finals. Bucks and six. I'll just Bucks say it. Six, I, pick, I pick Suns and six. I don't care. I'll say Bucks and six for Steve. I love Steve. But thank you everyone again for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week. 